Welcome back to Gamble. You're listening to the second episode in a two-part series. So if you haven't heard the first one, go back and give it a listen before you start this one. That being said, we're going to cue the intro music. Thank you. I missed it. Yeah, you're right. I almost skipped over it. So Will leaves. He finally says, I'm, you know, you're not going to do this. I'm going to leave. Yeah, but right before that, the reason why he leaves, my, this, I could be wrong, but my research tells me that John goes to Europe. And while John goes to yes, Europe, yes, he, he, he will leaves, adds the sugar. Yes, will adds sugar and malt and doesn't tell his brother. When John hears about it, he goes crazy. Mm-hmm. How could you do this? I invented this. Well, no, you didn't invent it. You both invented it. But he wants to take all the credit. Yeah. And that's when Will quits. Rather hypocritical of John, he made Will give him the money that Will earned while John was on vacation. Because Will actually sold a bunch. Yes. While he while John was gone because he had sugar, people were like, this is amazing. Even, even though John was only gone two weeks, Will had already made tons of sales. Good, good, good point. So he, he moves away. But a year later, actually, can we can we stay in the year 1904 for okay, just a second? All right. So while all of this is going on with Post, and you've got you got Post doing its thing, you've got the the Kellogg brothers doing their thing. This is just an interesting trivia point for me, and that is in the summer of 1904 at the World Fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, the World Fair at that point was held in New York, and it was kind of the thing where everybody would bring all of their latest inventions, all of their newest foods, anything like that. So at the World Fair 1904, summer of 1904, these are the things that were brought out at the World Fair just in food. Yellow hot dog mustard, iced tea, Dr. Pepper, ice cream cones, and Quaker Oats. So all these things are making their debut. All in of these things made their debut at the World Fair in the summer of 1904. Wow, what a year! It, it was like the year of industry for well, food. Well, this is a really interesting time. Uh, if you note, if you remember, remember, remember the um, Hearst, William Randolph Hearst. This is that same time period. Yes, the Ford Motor Company, same, same time, time period. period. The, so the, many things are happening here. That's right. The Wright brothers, same time period. Yeah, and I believe 1906 was the first radio broadcast. I if, believe you're if right. Memory serves. Yep. So um, we we actually and and maybe this is the wrong timing, but the Quaker Oats, how that all that's kind of interesting. So you had you had the yellow mustard and the Dr oh, Pepper yeah. and all that. But the Quaker, Quaker Oats, I don't have anything on, actually. Okay, so Quaker Oats was... What year were, were they uh, this was, in the game? This was 1904 okay. at the World Fair. And so at the World Fair, they've got they've got these eight cannons, and they've got this middle like oh, cage area. And while they're sitting there, the crowds are all around them, and this announcer comes out, and he's like, you are about to see one of the greatest inventions in food ever. He says, just sit here in the audience and watch bring out the cannons and so they brought out eight cannons and these cannons had covers on them 
and they were just glowing hot. And they, in these eight cannons, they had this rice that was uncooked. It was, it was like rice. a, yes. And so it was sitting there almost like a steamed, uncooked, but it, it, um, it had all the moisture and humidity had been sucked out of it. Right, because they're, they're heating them so much that that pressure is building. They have these things corked or capped. Yes. And they're heating them to 500 degrees. And so he's like, um, all right, light the cannons. And so they light these cannons, and, of course, they take the covers off, and boom, 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 all eight cannons go off, and they shoot their contents into this cage. What they were shooting is puffed rice. And basically, puffed rice, you inject humidity into it, you know, just like steamed rice, when you inject humidity, it grows. Well, they had injected all this humidity into these cannons, but because of the hard cannons, the rice could not, it yeah, could not they, they expand. they capped the cannons and then they, yeah, all so, that pressure was building and building with nowhere to go. So once they lit the deal and took the cover off and that shot out, it instantly popped out almost like popcorn. It expanded and so they were just scooping it out of this cage and putting it in bowls and giving it to people. And people were just like, oh, my word, this tastes so good. So at the same time, you had Kellogg creating their cereal. You had Charles Post creating his cereal. And Quaker Oats jumps into the game, and they start creating their cereal called Puffed Rice. Wow. Okay, and sorry. Today, that's Rice Krispies, right? That Yes, that wow. is. Wow. That's so, such a cool way to make Rice Krispies. In cannons? In cannons. Let's just go wow. buy some cannons and do our own. I know. I want to I try it now. Cap some cannons. Probably get in trouble. Yes, probably. Like, what are you guys doing? Uh, Making just, puffed rice. Oh, we, we just wanted to make breakfast. So, 1905. Oh, no, no, no. 1904. This is the same year that the sanitarium burns down. Oh. It catches fire, and it burns down while Will is gone. Well, it also burns down while John is gone as well, but John's gone on business. Will had ran away. Okay. But when Will hears about the sanitarium burning down, he moves back to help his brother because he feels bad. He helped his brother for so long, and he finally had the, the courage to quit, and now he goes back to Now he goes back. He his his big heart. The business they created together was in shambles. Gotcha. Okay, so... That's in 1904. And in 1905, they return and they rebuild the sanitarium. John spends $1 million. That's a lot of money back in 1904. Yeah, it's like two, It's like $25 million now. It's crazy. That is. That is absolutely astounding. Now in 2020. So John is really deep in debt now. So when his brother Will comes to him again saying, hey, man, you, I want to buy the rights to what they're call, now calling, they've, they've invented a new cereal called cornflakes. So instead of using wheat, now they're using corn, okay. which, ta- which tastes better. He says, I want the rights to cornflakes. And he, at this time, Will only owns 25% of it. He wants 100%. Well, they argue and argue for six months, but John finally agrees because he's in great debt because he just rebuilt the sanitarium. So he reluctantly agrees. And after six months of arguing, arguing signs a contract with Will and signs over the rights. Okay, but so that's John, January 1906. John holds a small stake in Will's new business. Okay. And that's about it. All right, so by so that's January of 1906. They signed the contract. And by July of 1906, Will has already not only started production, but is selling a ton. And Yeah, that's because of some smart marketing, which we're about to get into. That's exactly right, because it was brilliant. So... so do you want to tell about the first ad he ran, or do you want me to tell that? Um, well, yeah. He says, 
Um, he puts it in the ladies in a ladies magazine. I believe it was the ladies' home journal. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, who is he reaching for? Who's his target audience? Everybody. It's everybody, but it's especially the ladies who have Women to cook and the breakfast. Yeah. Yes, they have to cook the breakfast every morning. So he's trying to be an influencer in that segment of the market, and so he puts an ad um, on page thirty-seven of the ladies' home Way journal. Way back there. Yep, and it basically said. Now, mind you, instead of going to the grocers and saying, hey, put our product in your yeah, store. Yeah. Try he, and typically, where you go, you say, hey, you're, you're the retailer. Why don't you sell my product? You have to convince them, and they do trials. He doesn't do the traditional he, way. No. He, he puts in this magazine, and it says you'll get a year supply if you can get your grocer to stock our cereal. Yeah, the Kellogg cornflakes. And so all of these women are now going to their grocer, stock it, stock it. And the reason why they want it stocked is because they want a year's supply yeah. of this cereal. Of easy breakfast to make for a year. And yeah. so it starts spreading all over the nation. And these women are, they're, it's an unpaid workforce. They're going to be buying his product. I mean, it's brilliant. They're going to buy his product for him, but yet he enlists them to go market his product, and he doesn't have to pay a dime. Yeah, that propels him to number one, and Kellogg Cornflakes are the number one selling cereal, uh, more than Post cereal and more than uh, the oats. Yes, Uh, Quaker Oats. Quaker Oats. And at the same... Okay, so this is how much amazing success he had by that one ad. Yeah, he ran another one. Well, before that, he went from making a thousand uh, boxes or however they distributed it at Mm -hmm. that point. He went from making a thousand boxes to making a hundred thousand boxes in just a couple of months. That's, that was how well that particular ad did what for a him. Smart ad campaign he came up with. So 1908, he runs another ad again, targeting women. And he tells women to, this is kind of risque for the time. Mm-hmm. He says, wink at your grocer and see what you get. Quote. So the women go into the grocer and they wink at the uh, grocer and the grocer says, oh, you must have saw the Kellogg ad. Here's your free box of cereal. So they were getting free boxes of cereal for simply winking at the grocer. Wow. Silly silly risque campaign, but whatever. Okay. And at that point um, in 1908, It it worked because from my research, he's up to 4 million boxes of cereal that he's selling. Yeah, he's making multiple millions in profit. Yes. So um, I don't know where your research takes you, but mine takes me back to Charles Post at this point. Are you okay moving into um, about 1914, or you have more in between 1908 and 1914? No, you're good. Go ahead. Okay, so in 1914, actually before 1914, in between 1908 and 1914. Are you going to talk? So you you have more on... Charles, John? Ch- no, Charles, I don't. I don't. Okay. I, was, I have uh, more on John in the same time period. Okay. Um, so Charles Post is actually doing very well. And he is um, marketing his um, something very similar to cornflakes. He's marketing it, calling it Elijah Manna. Mm-hmm. And so um, he's appealing trying to the He's Adventist. appealing to the Adventists, but all religious groups, basically. He's trying to appeal to the church world mm-hmm. and basically saying, this is Elijah Manna. And he actually had other products that he was trying to tap into this religious Bible Belt market. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he ends up getting found out that this guy is 
he's not religious. He's not Mark. It, there's nothing to it that's healthy. There's nothing about it that's heavenly. There's nothing yeah, about it that's good. Yeah, they didn't like that he was using that name. Yeah, so they began to um, really scathe him and really just... he His company was taking a severe beating because of its marketing ploy of, you know, Elijah Manna. And so on May 9th, 1914, he had went to his home in Santa Barbara, and he was just trying to recover himself from all of this this dreadful marketing disaster and, and all of that. And so May 9th, 1914, um, he decides to take his own life, and he puts a hunting rifle um, oh, to himself and, yeah. and ends up committing suicide. Now, one of the very interesting parts of that, although that is obviously awful and sad, is his daughter was listed. I believe she was in her 20s. Beneficiary. She was listed as the, as the beneficiary. Now, at that point, the early 1900s, men were all the executives of corporations. Right, yeah. And so she decided, I will not turn over my rightful duty to a man. And so his daughter the daughter of Charles Post and this cereal company, she becomes one of the first women corporate officers in the world. Wow. Yeah, so pretty, uh, kind of a neat tie-in there. brave. Yes, very brave. So, sorry, go ahead. You had more on the Kellogg's. Yeah, so John, he sees his brother, younger brother Will making all this money, so John decides to start selling to the public. So he sees his, brothers make, his brother making millions, so then he says, you know what? It's okay. I'll go ahead and sell to the public. I'm not. I'll go ahead and do it for profit. So he does, mm. but he still retains that he's not going to add any sugar. By this time, his younger brother Will was adding sugar. Okay. So John's selling it without sugar, and he uses the Kellogg name, and he makes his boxes look just like Will's Kellogg boxes. Mm. So Will's worried that people are going to try John Kellogg's cereal, and it's going to be all bland, and now they're never going to come back and for more cereal because his cereal tastes terrible. Okay, because it, it the marketing want, looks the same. He doesn't want people to mistake his brother's cereal for his. Got it, okay. Because they have the same last name. So John... Will takes John to court. Uh, John still refuses to use sugar because it's going to give you lustful or, lustful or sinful urges, he believes. And so they lock horns in court, and they battle it out for 12 years. Again, long... oil and water. <laughs> These... So John comes up with his own idea of launching this brand cereal. So he launches a brand cereal, but Will, the younger brother, the smart one, or... Now we find out this guy's actually pretty smart, mm -hmm. the one that was belittled all of his life. He launches three brand cereals. One of them you might recognize is All Brand. Ah, yeah. okay. So it starts in 1918 is when he start, launches that. But that same year, they're having court battles, 1918. John gets pneumonia. Okay. He's never the same. It damages his lungs, and he's always tired. Just walking, he would get tired. Hmm. Interesting. So to make things worse, in 1920, if I'm skipping too far ahead, let nope, me know. Nope. So 1920, after 13 years of court, or I guess it's 13, not 12. <laughs> so the um, finally the court orders John to pay his younger brother Will for infringing on the copyright because the judge says, you know, when people think cereal, they're thinking about Will's cereal with the his version sugar, the cornflakes yes. not this other brand, brand nonsense okay so they award it to will and john has to pay will 
and he loses. Okay. So John also, he uh, they had different paths. So Will was very accepting of everybody, but John was not. John was actually he founded like a uh, eugenics movement. Really. In nineteen, yeah, back in nineteen oh six, he he wanted inferior individuals, quote, hmm. not to taint the uh, gene pool. And I don't really want to talk about eugenics a whole lot because it's really a messed up ideology. Yes, it is definitely. So so nineteen thirty three. Vernon Grant is illustrating. He's an illustrator, and he listens to this ad. Do you know this story? Or no, I don't. Go okay, ahead. So Vernon Grant, he's listening to the radio, and he hears someone talk about this rice cereal that snap, crackles, and pops. Mm-hmm. So he says, oh, okay. And then he takes some inspiration from that, starts drawing. He draws three characters with little top hats, and on the top hats he writes snap, crackle, and pop. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the phone, calls Mr. Kellogg and says, hey, I made this illustration. I think it would work with your ad campaign. I made three little characters for your little slogan. And John loves it and pays the guy, brings him on as a little animate or illustrator. And that's where that was the birth of what we see today of all the little animated characters on cereal boxes. On cereal boxes. Okay, interesting. So um, going back, rewinding just a little bit back to 1924. So while you've got Kellogg doing its thing, you got Quaker Oats doing its thing, You've got Post Cereal doing its thing. There is a company in 1924 called General Mills. General Mills is the founder, creator of Wheaties. And so Wheaties, they bring it out, and Wheaties is basically terrible. It's not doing anything. It's not selling. It's not going anywhere. And so General Mills is kind of like, how do we get our cereal, this Wheaties, to be sold. We're selling it nationwide, but we're noticing that it's selling. So that General Mills is based in Minneapolis. And so they noticed that everywhere else in the nation, it was not selling good. But in Minneapolis, it was selling great. And they're like, okay. So they, they bring all their executives together and they're like, yeah, what's going on? Why here? is this? And they said, well, in Minneapolis, here it is locally, we pay a quartet to go on the radio and to sing this little jingle about General Mills Wheaties. And it it's, it's selling great. What if we tried that nationally? Now at that point, radio was really starting to make a, you know, make a play in the, in the nation. And so they said, why don't we try this singing quartet for all of our, you know, for, for nationwide. Yeah, it's working in Michigan. Why not try it everywhere? And so, Makes they, sense. so they try it. And it boosts sales by 12 times, 12 times the amount of sales. And so they decided we're going to move hugely into radio. And by 1934, General Mills had become the number one cereal in the world. And the reason why is because they were, yes, but they, in 1934, they were so huge into radio. They were doing their own radio programs, all of that, all due to a singing quartet. So yeah, one local marketer came up with the quartet, and, it sp- and someone decided to spread it. Oh, they they all got together and decided to spread it. So. Yes. So that brings me to 1941 in my research. Does that where where are you at in yours? I'm good. I'm done actually. That's okay. So in 1941, um, very quickly, General Mills decides, hey. We've got to do something to compete with some of these other cereals. Wheaties is great, but it's not going to be our our go-to. And so that's when they invented 
a cereal called, they called it Cheerios. Oh, snap. They called it Cheerios. I think I know what this it one's going to be. It was made from puffed wheat, and it was in a donut type. Wait, wasn't it puffed oats? I'm sorry, puffed oats. Yes, my, my apologies. Puffed oats, and it was in this donut-looking deal. And so they, in May of 1941, they start marketing this Cheerios. And Cheerios was just going 100 miles an hour. It was selling all over the place. And at that point, they realized Cheerios was kind of hard to say. So they changed the name to Cheerios. Yeah. What's and that? Isn't that the most popular cereal right now? Even today, wow. it has been the number one bestseller since right at 1941. I, no, I think it isn't it today in 2020. Isn't it Honey Nut Cheerios that are the number okay. one? Oh, perfect. I'm glad you mentioned that. So how did how did Cheerios turn into Honey Nut Cheerios? Ooh. Shout out to my dad because I know you love Honey Nut Cheerios. But how did how did we get Honey Nut Cheerios? There was this guy in Philadelphia. He was a he was a machinist, and his kids were sitting there eating Cheerios, mm-hmm. and they were just dumping the sugar on them, just dumping it on. Which, by the way, if Guilty. I yes, if I eat <laughs> if I eat plain Cheerios, I'm gonna dump the sugar on. And so, in fact, I had some last night. Anyways, so he's in Philadelphia. I know. In re- in researching this, did you not go out and buy cereal? I, I did. know I did. I certainly did. Oh my yes. goodness, I had I had a bowl today. Yes, it's so good. But so he's in Philadelphia. His name is Jim Rex. And he noticed his kids are dumping all the sugar. So he's like, oh, we've got to fix that. Mm-hmm. So he took these Cheerios and he, he realized that the best way to fix that is if they were pre-sweetened, then the kids wouldn't feel like they had to put sugar on them. So he took honey, he took corn syrup, he took the Cheerios, he baked them, brought them out, handed them to his kids, and his kids went crazy. And so this guy, he's a machinist. He says, you know what? I'm going to start my own cereal company. Ah. So he starts another cereal company and calls it Ranger Joe. And Ranger Joe actually is the first company that began offering a toy, a free toy in their packaging. Wow. And All these smart marketing tactics. Yes. At some point, um, he sells his business to another guy, and that guy... Um, ends up selling the business to General Mills, and General Mills takes it and makes it Honey Nut Cheerios. Wow. Yes. Um, The other interesting part about all that was at this same time frame, Post started putting their cereal in boxes, and they started ads on TV, 1941. And then, or or roughly around that time, it may not have been 1941, but it was around the time of Ranger Joe. Um, and then just, you know, you see all of these little characters and all of that, and you mentioned kind of some of their, their deal, but Kellogg was really floundering at this time. And I know we're running out of time, but I'll make no, this go quick. Ahead. We can, so, I can split it into two episodes if we have to. Ooh, okay. Ooh. So, um, basically there was this chance meeting and Mr. Will Kellogg is riding on this train and as he's riding on the train, actually, um, it was the CEO of, of Kellogg. It may not have been Mr. Kellogg, but he was riding on this train headed to Union Square, uh, Union Station, pardon me, in New York. And on this, on this train ride, he meets this disheveled, frumpy-looking, unironed shirt man by the name of Larry Burnett. And television was just coming out at that point. And so he looks at Mr. Burnett and he notices this 
messed up business card. And he says, oh, you're in marketing. And the guy says, yeah, I just started a marketing firm and I, I'm just getting started. And the CEO of Kellogg looks at him and says, question for you. We're not ready to move into television ads yet, but we're just curious. What do you think they would do? Do you think it's worth the investment? And the guy said, well, he just started a marketing firm, so of course he's going to say, yeah. Exactly. He says, give me just one of your products, and I will prove to you that television is a great way to market it. Oh. Mind you, this is the same guy who eventually would be the creator of the Marlboro Man. He would be the creator of Pillsbury Doughboy. He would be creator of the Jolly Green Giant. Wow. So this guy had to be a marketing genius. And so he decides to, he becomes Kellogg's ad rep, and he decides that we've got to start marketing first, not just with television, but using our boxes as advertisement. And so that's when they came out with Frosted Flakes. And they asked Larry Burnett, they said, we want a character on the front of it that's like some kind of animated animal. Mm-hmm. And so you had to match with Snap, Crackle, Pop, exactly. and these animated characters. And so this guy, instead of saying, well, we're going to do this or we're going to do this, he said, why don't we let the public decide? And so they put on the front of half of the boxes, Katie the kangaroo. And then at the same time, they had Tony the tiger. Hmm, and I, wonder, te- I wonder which one won, yes, Don. Yes, and, uh, and then in television, they would have half their ads that had Katie the kangaroo and half that had Tony the tiger. And history tells the story. Yeah. Tony the tiger wins. And so in 1953, they came out with tricks. And Quaker Oats in 1954, did you read about how they decided to give away land deeds? Yeah, I heard. That was a crazy mess. Yes, they gave away deeds one one they, square inch. They buy this property, and then they try to give away one square inch of property in deeds in cereal boxes. In every package, yes. They yeah. bought 19 acres for 1000 bucks in the, in the Yukon Territory of Canada. Yeah, and they realized that it was going to cost way too much money to you know parcel it up and actually divide the land by deed, so they didn't. Yes, they never even filed the deeds, and, and this is funny, too. They went to take pictures for their marketing, and the camera froze. Yeah. It was so cold. They couldn't even get a they, picture of the property. And yet, at that point, um, when they started putting these one-inch, one-square-inch land deeds that were not even recorded with Canada... When they put that in their boxes, it became the biggest sales promotion for any product in the United States history. Wow. That's there again. That's a success story right there. Yes, for sure. So um, it was also, here's another fun trivia fact. It was Kellogg, uh, going back to Kellogg, it was Kellogg that arranged to have cereal aisles in the newly taking shape Supermarkets. So at that point, supermarkets, entire aisles, entire aisles dedicated to cereal. Before that, it was just wherever. But they, Kellogg, and their marketing said we need to put all all of our cereals together. And by doing that, they started arranging with all these new supermarkets, and they started putting arrange it by brand, by brand, and they actually arranged an entire cereal item aisle um, just for um, just for cereal alone. And um, 
So they would have to obviously convince the grocers to do it that way. Yes. They're ultimately responsible for it. And so General Mills in 1959, you know, the animated characters, Mm -hmm. um, they realized that kids were the customers. It's not the parents. The parents aren't our customers. The kids are our customers. The parents are just the ones that foot the bill. And so we've got to appeal to these kids. So that's when they, when General Mills started doing their characters, they had Rocky, Bullwinkle. They actually started their own cartoon, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, That's when they came out with Tricks the Rabbit. Um, They had all of these um, different, uh, they had... uh, You know, I see all these characters on these serials, but I don't think about the fact that they used to, like, they were actual characters. They're just faces to me on cereal. They're right? just faces to me on, on the cereal box as well. But in the 1950s and 1960s, these They were these fully developed characters with voices on the radio. That's exactly right. They were, they were there serving as these animated characters doing commercials for these cereal companies. And that's why they got stuck on the box. In 1962, another t- fun trivia fact, um, this guy named John Hallahan... He was sitting there eating his Cheerios. We're back to Cheerios again. He's eating his Cheerios, and he said, I wonder what it would be like to put some marshmallow into my Cheerios. And so he chopped up these marshmallows, stuck it on top, and ate it. And he was like, oh, it's so good. And that's where... let me think. The first cereal with marshmallows, let me guess. I'm going to say it was Lucky Charms. You got it. And so that's where Lucky the Leprechaun from... Lucky Charms. I must confess, that's the only cereal that I can think of with marshmallows. Yeah, so it, but it's not actually marshmallows. So you think it's marshmallows. What is it? It kind of tastes like marshmallows. It's just it's, sugar? It's gelatin, corn syrup, food coloring, sugar, and then they put them through these food molds because the, the um, marshmallows were going soggy. And um, not only that, they had too much moisture in them. So when you stuck them in the package... The they moisture were caught, would be the moisture the was oats. yep and so it was causing the oats to go bad and they didn't have as much shelf life yeah so that's why they had to make it out of gelatin and all that even though it sounds sugar and high fructose corn syrup and gelatin oh my goodness that sounds really healthy yeah that's what it is and so and they got they got the idea from NASA Oh, freeze-dried foods. Freeze-dried yes, foods. Because I, I do know NASA yes. invented free, the freeze-dried food. That's exactly it. So um, that's when they did that. That would have been in, I believe, 19, yeah, 1962. And then in uh, kind of coming to an end here, but July 1970, Congress, that's when Congress started demanding that they put nutritional facts on all the packaging. And in the 1970s and early 1980s, you had this real move towards health food cereals and granola kind of made a remember granola was granola just bar wheat baked into bread and then baked again that and was ground invented up. by yeah. john kellogg right but it made this big comeback but they started adding nuts and, and they started oats adding and oats. oats and all this other stuff to it so in the 1970s Congress started making this big push for health food. And so granola in the 70s, the hippies, they were all into granola and all this stuff. And then they ended up doing all this research and finding out that granola has the same amount of sugar as a bowl of tricks, Apple Jacks, and Cocoa Puffs. So while you think it's all healthy, 
it has the same amount of sugar. Yeah, because carbs turn to sugar, or you know, when they're digested, they're turned to sugar before you absorb them. Yes. So, which it, we know now, which we probably didn't. They know. didn't know then at that point, but in the '90s, cereal. 40% of all cereal was purchased using a coupon. Wow. Yeah, 40%. But between the cost of the coupon and the cost of manufacturing the paper of the coupon, it was costing them like $1.25 per box. Okay. And they realized they were losing such profit on it that they went into a massive cereal war. Oh, too many people couponing. Too many people couponing. And so it became... Um, there pretty soon they they began to do away with the coupons and now that brings us to the the current day of people you know all these brands they're off brands of cereals and it's making a huge push into the cereal market you know i've had this off brand cereal from this great value brand so mm-hmm. you'll know where it's from yes and it's an off brand of Honey Bunches of Oats. And okay. it tastes just like Honey Bunches of Oats. Well, the same is um, there's one for Cinnamon Toast Crunch. There's one well, I've for seen. I haven't Cocoa had Puffs. any of the other um, I, I, knockoffs. Ha- I've, I've had, only had the one, and it is spot on. It's spot on. And so now these cereal companies are not only fighting against each other, but they're now fighting these store brands that have come in with such great— and here's part of the problem with it. Um, General Mills is actually ahead of the game because most of their uh, products are titled with different names: Fruit Loops um, or Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa Puffs, yeah. You know, they're not. It's not Raisin brand. Like Raisin, you can't copyright that. You can't patent that. And so it, it's yeah, it's hard to copyright common vernacular. That's it. That's so, like the guy that made Fidget Spinner. Mm-hmm. He named the item Fidget Spinner. And because that was the uh, description of the item, he couldn't patent it. Yes, because that was I, that's what identified the item. So Kellogg, because they've named so many of their stuff, you know, m- more natural words. The description is the name. Yes, they're having a hard a harder time suing some of these store brands. Um, for using their stuff. That makes sense. And so um, it's a real struggle right now for the cereal companies. All this being said about cereal, what cereal do you eat, Don? That's that's the burning question I have after all this. (laughs) Okay. um, I would say that my top three uh, is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. No, I don't eat the healthy stuff. I apologize from the get-go. Cinnamon Toast Crunch or the store brand of that. Uh, Cocoa Puffs or the store brand of that, and uh, Captain Crunch. Or really, Captain Crunch with berries. I do like Captain Crunch with berries. I recently um, got a box of Cheerios, and I've been nailing the Cheerios. Just plain Cheerios. Really plain Cheerios. Well, I dump a ton of sugar on them. Um, Yes, I will eat Honey Nut Cheerios, but my favorite is probably the Honey Bunches of Oats, and then that's followed by. Reese's Puffs. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Reese's Puffs. There's there's, there's some interesting stories on that one too, but we'll leave so those alone. Good. So I guess what I'm asking is is if So what are your favorite to... parts about our story today? My I already know my favorite. My favorite by far is the cannon story. They cap these cannons, heat them to five hundred degrees, filled with rice, then they pop the corks and out comes puffed rice. I, I think that's probably my favorite part of the story as well. 
or maybe just the fact that the 1904 Summer World Fair produced yeah, yellow mustard, Dr. Pepper, Quaker Oats, and, and so many other things. I mean, that that to me is just, that's off the charts. I, I, I love that. And I, the other thing is I'd be curious that our listeners, um, and we're so happy that you've joined us again today, but we'd love to hear in the comments section um, or you know write us in the review, however you talk to us, what is your favorite cereal? And not only that, but we'd love to hear any other further reviews that you have for us. Yeah, we love the reviews. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it helps us. And we, we do read every one of them. Yeah, we read every one of them, and we appreciate the feedback. We're pretty excited for next week. We're not going to tell you what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. So we will see you next week, or talk to you next week, rather. Adios.